friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Tile Money Podcast. This is the podcast that is strengthening the tile industry. My name is Luke Miller, your host, and we're strengthening the tile industry with our weekly business discussions and education designed for contractors by contractors. This education is being heard around the world and is assisting tile contractors to build profitable, sustainable businesses. The result is a stronger industry from the installer up. Today, we have another uh, interview lined up. I'm, I'm really excited to be talking to Carl Parker. Carl Parker is out of new, the state of New Mexico. We're going to talk about state licensing. We're going to talk about uh, determination and grit. We're going to talk about remodeling business and, and how he's transitioned from a tile contractor into a remodeling contractor. And social media in the tile industry and how, uh, how they intertwine and work together. We're going to also discuss that, among other things, I'm sure. Before we bring Carl on to the stage, I want to thank our sponsors. We have the NTCA, the National Tile Contractors Association. That can be your most valuable resource. They are the oldest and the largest association for tile contractors. They're able to answer the questions that you're looking for, whether you're out in the field and you're looking for solutions to a complicated problem, or maybe you want an introduction to a specific uh, tile contractor who has a specific expertise, uh, knowledge in a specific field. Uh, Whatever the case might be, the NTCA has your back. Check out the NTCA online and talk to Jim Olson on Facebook to see what the NTCA can do to you, do for you. Uh, Ladecrete International is another sponsor of ours, and I want to thank Ladecrete. They're one of the leading innovators in the tile installation materials world. They are credited with inventing Thinset and winning the World Trade Center contract for providing that lightweight solution to build the world's tallest buildings at the time. Ladycrete is a family-run and privately held company with family values that you can feel whether you're talking to the reps in the field all the way up to the family members that are still working in the business. Ladycrete provides everything you need to install tile from the waterproofing to the grout and silicone. It's a one-stop manufacturing company. GoBoard is our third sponsor. I'd like to thank GoBoard. They are an innovative tile backer board manufactured by Johns Manville. Discover the possibilities with this easy-to-cut and handle uh, waterproof product. It's lightweight. It's very lightweight, yet it's very durable. Carry a bunch of boards in one trip up those stairs. You can seal your joints and fastener penetrations using their GoBoard Pro sealant, and that uh, allows you to achieve ANSI A118.1 compliant installations. GoBoard Pro sealant is now available in 20 ounce sausage packs. Ask your distributor to bring them in. Prep is everything, and with GoBoard, you can have solid prep. Learn more at jm.com slash goboard. And Happy Tile Guy, I'll give a shout out to happytileguy.com. That's where tile contractors are getting professional websites built, fully SEO, search engine optimized for lead generation. And that's your online hub for your business. All right, let's bring Carl in. Hey, Carl. Afternoon. Good to see you. Good to be seen. I I want to thank you for for uh, you know joining the podcast. I know we spoke some time ago, and and you had agreed to it, and I uh, you know my dis, disorganized self kind of lost lost that note. But I I saw you yesterday, um, well Friday, a couple days ago, with Mark Heinlein, and and the two of you did a great interview. Uh, and and Mark and the NTCA have a group called the the NTCA Online training connection or, or something of this nature. I believe it's a public group and that's where that was held. So I, I knew, and I was remi- you know, reminded, Hey, I, I've been wanting to get Carl on and you said, let's do it. So thank you. 
Absolutely. So for everybody, my audience listening who doesn't know you, can you share with us uh, who you are, where you're at, and uh, kind of your 30,000-foot overview of how you got into the industry? So I'm based out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, started out in the industry here working for a general contractor pushing a broom. Um, the owner of the company that I originally started for, Art Construction, um, saw the drive that I had was always the 20 question guy on the job site and um, offered me to go through a carpenter's apprenticeship program. If I maintained bees or better, they would reimburse me all of the money that I had paid to go to school for it. Um, my mother's husband is a registered architect from the sixties where he came up drawing, drawing blueprints by hand, you know, sketching yeah. them out by pencil and then tracing them back through with black ink. And so, um, you know, when I took the opportunity, when it came to those points, he was a, a really good component for helping me out, being able to read blueprints and move on. Um, just so the story is, uh, Carpenter's apprenticeship program is typically four years. I was able to actually blow through it in nine months, um, partly because I was basically pitted into the position of doing construction. And I figured if I was stuck doing construction, I was going to be good at doing it. And so I spent many a nights reading books. Uh, just digesting as much material as I could and actually testing out of classes and had the opportunity to teach steel stud framing because the instructor that we had had no idea about it. Mm -hmm. So was able to blow through a, a four year apprenticeship program in nine months. Um, it, it upset a lot of people in the industry. <laughs> um, a, a lot of my coworkers that were, uh, were carpenters were, were upset because it took some of them five years to get through. And so it definitely created a bit of an issue with us there. Let me get this camera line back up. There we go. Uh, it, it upset quite a bit of people there. So it, it created a, a bit of a hostile work environment with us because they really didn't see me as being a, a true journeyman carpenter at the time. And uh, I wasn't happy with the pay raise that I got. So I actually went and sent out a couple of applications to a few other larger GCs here in town and was hired on with the union, um, working with Jane's and they went through 35 applicants and came to me and offered me a foreman's position working for Jane's. And I accepted the job, had it for about two weeks before the actual position was yanked out from under me. So at some point in time, somebody's dad, uncle, grandpa, somebody that was higher up in the union was not happy that, you know, they're, person didn't get the job. So, um, long story short on that, they basically sat me down at the union for a while, asked me if I wanted a mudding and taping job because I knew how to do it. I respectfully declined and, uh, ended up taking a job with Gerald Martin as a lead carpenter mm -hmm. and worked with them for nine months before I became the only working carpet or working foreman that the company has ever had. And that actually upset up quite a bit of people as well. Um, because I was helping the, uh, the foreman run the job or helping the superintendent run the job, but still wearing my tool bags and working with the other carpenters. So in 2009, when the economy got really bad here, I was one of the lucky few that got laid off. I went to the company Christmas party, saw there was about 30 new employees, all basically hired to replace the higher end employees that got laid off. And from there, I swore that I'd never work for anybody ever again. Um, put in for uh, 
my license, was uh, able to take the test and eventually got my GB98. Um, during the time that I had actually worked for Hart Construction, I fell underneath a uh, superintendent that had his GB98 and actually did custom kitchen and bathroom remodels and is actually still doing it here in the state to this day. And um, he's really the guy who taught me everything that I originally knew about tile until he couldn't teach me anything else. So, you know, I would go and work with him after work, you know, chopping mud and pulling mud with him. You know, he didn't allow me to mix thin set or set tile or touch a, a tile saw until I actually learned how to, you know, float mud pans, learn how to float mud walls. And from there, things just progressed. Mm. Um, you know, throughout the years since I started my own company, you know, I was originally doing commercial door installations because that's a, a very niche area to be in. You know, a lot of people have a hard time doing it. Yeah. So I was doing that for a while and, you know, started leaning in more to doing tile and working with him again. And, uh, you know, things just progressed from one day to the next. And I decided to move more into doing custom kitchen and bathroom remodels. Mm. And that's when I, you know, got pretty heavily involved with, you know, a lot of the forums with the NTCA, you know, signed up with them, went and took my CTI, passed my CTI. And things have just kind of snowballed ever since. Sounds like you, you, you know, like I said in the outset, you're very determined. You're a very determined man, and and once you put your mind to something, uh, you, you, you know, you go for it. That that experience about you know condensing four years into nine months, uh, that's truly incredible, Carl. Um, what what what's the total time frame? Are we talking here from the point you started pushing a broom? to the point where you got your CTI and just left us. So I've, I've had odds and ends jobs in, in construction my whole life. A um, little bit of my backstory. I, I've been on my own since I was 13 mm. and um, used to run the streets. I sold drugs and, you know, whenever I'd fall apart, hard times, I'd get a job pushing a broom, being around a construction job site. And, and uh, 1999, I caught a case in Colorado and I ended up doing four and a half years there. And throughout my course of being in prison, I uh, taught myself accounting, being in the hole for nine months, or six months, sorry, for six months. But also whenever I was actually out, you know, I would put in to do various jobs and was learning construction while I was there. Okay. And I figured, you know, with me being a six-time felon, my opportunities to go out and live the American dream were, you know, cut by 75%. So by the time that I got out and actually taught myself accounting, because I knew there was no point in time that I was actually going to become successful in anything unless I was running my own business. Um, you know, I had it set in my mind from the time that I got out that I was eventually going back into business for myself in, in a legitimate fashion. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where it all kind of boils down to. That's really inspiring. Do you, what what was your favorite? What are you still an avid reader? And and what's you know a couple favorite accounting books? I, I read all the time. Do you have a couple accounting books you can you can share? Or, or I actually haven't picked up an accounting book since I did that time in the hole. Yeah, you know I, I was pitted with the fact that I had the opportunity to read either college education books or spiritual books, the Bible, the Quran, so on and so forth, and I chose to pick up accounting books. And so I was actually to go be able to go through and while I had sunlight, be able to pick through and, and read through all the accounting books that, that I could get my hands on. And even to this day and age, I, I do all of my own taxes except filing my taxes at the end of the year. Okay. 
that's the only thing that I don't do. You know, I, I do my own books. I do my own 941s. I do all my own paperwork, you know, and yet to be audited. So why do you stop short f- from filing? Is it, is it? Com- I, I like the comfort of having a, a tax agent that files my taxes. That way, if the government decides to audit me, they deal with it. It's not my headache. They deal with everything. Yeah. I was always under the impression, like when I file, you know, it seems like there's a waiver that says something like this is on you. You know, even though we prepared it, this is on you. <laughs> so I- no. So, so and I, I actually use a, a nationwide company. I use H&R Block. I pay, I pay a premium for them. But um, if I have any issues, you know, if, if I get little love letters from the IRS throughout the year, I go and drop it off to my tax agent. And she takes care of it. Yeah. So I have nothing to worry about. As long as I keep my books clean, file my 941s and my gross receipts tax, I have no worries. Yeah, smart. Well, uh, you know, again, I'm just going to repeat it. It's, it seems like a good time to go into this, um, you know, because you've expressed a, a, a lot of things here. But really the overarching theme, I think, up until this point has been, you know, determination, man. And, and kudos to you, you know, for – getting yourself uh, out of a situation, you know, you're, you're literally in the hole. I, I, I guess that's solitary confinement. So you're literally in the hole and you're like, what am I going to do? I, I, I don't have a lot of chances left, you know, so to speak. I'm going to pick up an accounting book. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start volunteering or working in, in whatever trade, you know, and learning a skill so that when I get back out, I can build a legitimate you know, and like you said, the American dream, man, that's what everybody wants, right? We want a home, we want a family, we want to provide for ourselves. And that's our, that's our right, you know, and that's our. One of the things why I picked up an accounting book is because I knew at some point in time, I was going to need some fraction of accounting information of my own, because there's far too many businesses in America that have absolutely no understanding about how taxes work. And then their tax agent may go around and be robbing from Peter to pay Paul. And next thing you know, the business is gone because they put all of their trust, trust in a tax agent. They couldn't even decipher what they were looking at. Yeah. So where does that determination come from? And and what could you say to inspire somebody who's maybe struggling with, you know, they know what they got to do, right? I mean, we gotta, we gotta read, but we're stuck on Facebook or we gotta, we just got to do the thing. And we're going to talk a little bit about how you went to your state and started working with your state. But what words of encouragement can you give us? Where does that come from? You know, I don't even know if it's words of encouragement. I mean, some, some people are, are just have the natural knack to just go out here and be determined to do something. They, they write something down on a piece of paper or they make a commitment to themselves and they stick to it. And some people don't. So I, I think it's an individual thing. I, I don't think it's anything that I could tell anybody that's going to make them change the way that they're doing things. It's either they're already that way or they're not. It's just, it's just the natural pecking order of life. Some people are determined to do things and some people are not. Well, let's put it this way. I, I'm, I'm not okay with living mediocre. I'm not okay with doing mediocre things. Have you always been that way or is that a... a... Ever since I was a kid. Yeah. You're just going to go, go all in and do it a hundred percent. It's either I'm committed to it or I'm not. Yeah. That's cool. A lot of us struggle with that, you know, but here's the thing. Is your life better or worse? Would you say because of that? 
it's a 50 50 trade-off um financially i'm doing great you know i've got a fantastic daughter you know my home life's good i i do suffer a little bit in personal relationships because of it just because i i draw a line in the sand Mm. and that's where it is and if people don't like where the line is they know where the door is Mm. and so i i have a, a a bit of a hard time with personal relationships being probably part of the reason why I'm single and not married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it's the determination. It's why I have a small group of friends because yeah. we all think the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there it is. I mean, it, you know, certainly there's a balance to be had, right. And, and striving, yeah, always. striving for that balance is something that every one of us is striving for. I mean, wherever you set your bar and, and your, you know, your, your goals, right. And the values that you hold dear, you're always, you're always balancing, counterbalancing. I mean, we always, we get out of whack so easy as humans. So, but it, it's really cool that, you know, what I want to go into now is, is what you and Mark were talking about where you actually went and started working with your state legislature, your state, you know, licensing board. Um, and kind of got some momentum going to actually bring a license to the tile contractor. Is that correct? Do you want to tell us about that story? Well, so there was previously a license, and I'm wanting to say in 2013 is when they got rid of it. It was a GS3, which covered uh, tile installation and granite fabrication. There was a couple of other things that were involved in the GS3 that got traded off to a couple of other uh, general specialties that didn't completely go away. But um, they decided to get rid of the the tile and granite. And the backstory behind that is, is any state, in order to have a valid contractor's license, you've got to have a code compliance bond. The code compliance bond covers things that are actually inspected. So uh, up until recently, nothing in tile was ever inspected because the shower pan and the shower drain actually fell on the plumber. That's always traditionally been a part of the plumber's wheelhouse. Um, the backer board, nine out of 10, either the drywall installers or the GC installed it and the tile guys came in and did their thing. So there was really no, no real inspection tied into tile to, to give the tile industry any bit of a bite and having some legitimacy in the industry. Hmm. So when they, when they got rid of the license, um, we, we actually started picking up and getting quite a bit busier. And, um, I noticed more and more of bad installs. For a lack of better terms, just completely bad installs. And so um, at the time I had a showroom and I was running continuing education classes where I was getting manufacturers in together and we were teaching uh, other tile installers about products and and proper methods. And uh, the the co-owner of Stonewood Flooring, Matt Atencio, which is a pretty good friend of mine, we do a lot of business with him, um, was at the showroom. Tim Whittington from Schluter Systems was there, and um, James Aldred from Bostic were there. And we were all sitting around kind of, you know, chewing the fat after a, a workshop or we're planning a workshop. I don't remember which one it was, but we had started talking about um, pushing up against the state of New Mexico about creating a license. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had reached out to, to Bart and James and kind of gave them a quick brief rundown of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. They fully supported it. And, uh, we shot out emails and, and finally ended up being able to get a hold of, uh, the licensing manager and, 
you know, the executive director at, at the construction industry divisions and finally ended up getting an audience where Bart came down and, and helped talk with me the first time. And it just started the snowball effect of us being able to get in and, and explain why uh, wet area tile installations are should should only be covered under one individual and it should be the tile installer, not the GC and not the plumber. So they they did New Mexico did away with the license in 2013. Did I hear that correctly? I believe so. I believe it was 2013. And then what year are these conversations happening with Bart and James? I'm wanting to say it was probably happening around the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016. So you you can honestly say, and I'm not. I just want to emphasize this that within a year and a half, you were starting to see failures that you identify more failures more, more you're starting to more, see more than normal more than, nor, more than normal failures that you directly you know cor, you know uh can can put the blame on the licensing going away in other words now anybody can can build a shower and, and we were seeing um an uptick in failures yep. this is uh a conversation that's, you know, being had in, in some of the Facebook groups uh, like Global Tile Posse, uh, you know, recently in the state of Colorado, there was a, a major failure and it's getting a lot of airtime on, on, you know, news channels, uh, even internationally, uh, surprising enough. And the argument goes back and forth. And, um, you know, one of the arguments is, hey, we need more licensing and, and and we compare we can compare our trade to an electrician or a plumber and you know I I hear people like Craig Craig say like hey go talk to an electrician or a plumber ask them if they would rather do away with their licensing you know they're going to tell you they're nuts they they love their licenses because it, it helps them you know regulate the industry and make more money and I wouldn't even say it boils down to a license it boils down to accountability yeah that's exactly what it boils down to is accountability. And that, that license in itself gives you accountability because instead of when a shower failure happens, the homeowner is the only one that's really losing. So when the shower failure happens, the homeowner may con- contact the uh, general contractor or the plumber who did it. Um, they may even uh, contact the construction industry. And once that happens, you get the plumber, you get the GC, and you get the tile guy all in the same room and you've got the three of them all pointing fingers at each other about whose fault it is. And at the end of the day, it needs to boil down to accountability that should, there should only be one person in there doing the entire installation. That way, if there is a failure, we know who the failures on and they can be held accountable for it. Yeah. And so I, I would, I would say I agree a hundred percent. That's a, that's very well put Carl. You're, you're very, you know, to the point and that's excellent. The, the accountability starts with someone who's, you know, like yourself and they're saying, I'm going to hold myself accountable. I want the license. Okay. Boom. They just hurt. They just went over one leap that a lot of people wouldn't go over that hurdle. Right. They're like, I'm going to go for it because I want to be as legit as possible. Um, you know, these laws exist. We, you know, and and you told yourself, uh, again, you know, back when you were, you know, in lockup, I'm going to, I'm going to learn the law and I, if somebody else can do it, I can do it too. And, and you, your determination and account, self-accountability, you know, you know, held you to that. And so that's the first set of accountability. And then what you're saying is when there's a failure, the person installing it 
should be held accountable. But without licensing, it's a it's a finger pointing blame the the game. And no, and at the end of the day, the homeowner loses no matter what right. because you can't prove who did what and where the failure happened. Yeah, and even if you can blame where the failure happened, nine out of ten somebody may not have the code compliance bond or insurance. So the homeowner is still losing. You know, there was a, a, a post on Global Tile Posse, um, huge paragraph, you know, about licensing and, and, you know, why we should have it and and all the good things about it. And there was a, a few comments about people not wanting licensing because they don't want government regulation in their life, which is it's kind of a ridiculous statement to make, especially from the individual that made it. I mean, they they live in the state of Illinois where they no longer have gun rights. Mm-hmm. And you're okay with that, but you're not okay with having a tile license. Well, maybe they're you not okay I mean? with it. Maybe that's the whole the whole trade off, you know. But they're saying they want less government in their life, but they're still living in a place where government has actually got more of a thumb down on them than they do anywhere else. So it's kind of a weird thing. And anybody in the industry who is decent at their job shouldn't be afraid of having a license. They should want it. If if you're doing stellar work, why would you be afraid to have a license? Why would you be afraid to have a bond and insurance? Wouldn't that make your customers feel better when you walk in and say, yeah, I'm licensed, bonded, and insured? If something happens, my insurance and my bond will cover it. It's it's much better than a a red tail light warranty. And so I'll give you the devil's advocate because I, you know, I'll, I'll pretend that I'm arguing the other side here for a minute because I was in a state of California where we did have to have a license. For me, it wasn't that hard. It, I, I felt like it, it wasn't a very difficult test, but at least it's there, right? That's not really the point, but at least it's there. And I, you know, um, but it didn't mean you were going to get stellar work. It didn't mean the consumer was going to be worried for it. never means you're going to get stellar work. But here's the thing I want to, you know, circle back to is so that's the argument right like oh these licensing don't matter because it doesn't mean anything for the consumer but what carl said about accountability is the kicker okay somebody screws up one or two or three showers before they they get caught you know they're going to get caught a lot quicker and they're going to get shut down and lose their license now they can keep operating as a handyman and keep people you know can keep hiring them under the table so to speak or illegally right and it will happen but at least the people who now they want you know the people who are uh consumers who are really conscious of you know hey we want to hire a legitimate licensed insured business you know that takes that person that hack off you know off and it might take a few years but at least there's something there accountability right exactly it's all about accountability i love that take on it i mean it sums it up you know, it, it makes it pretty concise and it's cut and dry. I mean, it's the only way that you can look at it is accountability. Yeah. I mean, if you can't be accountable for the work that you're putting in somebody's house, then why are you even out here working? Yeah. Why? So what do you want to tell uh, contractors who are maybe in a state that doesn't have a license? Cause most of them don't for what we do. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good things going on. I mean, anybody can reach out to me at any point in time. I'm, I'm actually sitting down next week with the mechanical bureau chief for the state of New Mexico, and we're actually going to put together a declaration of intent. And I'm going to get it put up for as a PDF for anybody to take and use that as their first stepping stone to get in front of their technical advisory committee for their state through the construction industry division. They There won't have to be any thinking involved. They'll be able to take this declaration of intent, 
submit it or even send it as an as an email, personalize it and send it as an email to, you know, the, the building chief and the mechanical bureau chief and the licensing manager and they will they will get an audience. It will be heard. Mm. Technical advisory committees happen once a month and they talk about these things and when something of this magnitude comes across, it's not something that they just push away. Did you have to get the voters involved at all, Carl? Because that's something Brant, you know, brought up in that post was in, in Idaho. His, um, you know, powers that be said, the voters aren't complaining. We're going to leave it. Not here. We didn't have to get any voters involved. So the only votes that happen are on the technical technical advisory committee. Okay. That's the only votes that matter. Okay. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that adopt the new standards, they adopt the new codes, mm-hmm. everything is thoroughly talked through, and that's how things change, is through the Technical Advisory Committee. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why that's why they have it for Construction Industry Division. Yeah. I mean, e- even when people need variances that go against code, it goes in front of the Technical Advisory Committee, and it gets talked about, and either it gets approved or denied. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Very cool. Well... Friends, like Carl said, if you, if you want to reach out to him and, and um, you know, chat him up and ask him questions. And, and hopefully, hopefully within the next few weeks, we'll have the declaration of intent available for anybody to download as a PDF and, and send it out and get the ball rolling. Well, keep Maybe, me, we're, we're going to keep it very, very short and simple. Keep me updated on that because I'll put it um, in my email newsletter for everybody with the, with the link to find that. And then I'll, I'll make a social post about that. You know, and, and one of the good things is, is, th- is this declaration of intent is going to be coming from the, the two people that actually changed and made the biggest code improvement in, in the nation. I mean, other states do have licenses, but what our license out here covers is a little more in-depth. I mean, it allows you to solve it through a drain. Most, most states won't allow you to do that. The only thing that you can't do with with the GS29 license that we have here is actually rough in your own plumbing. Mm-hmm. So you can't rough in the shower valve and you, you can't rough in your drain, but you can solve it and glue your drain yeah. because that's that's required in a lot of systems. You know, you, you look at Laticrete and, and Schluter and, you know, there's got to be a few other systems that operate the same way that need solvent and glued in and that has to happen through the tile installer. Yeah. That's how the accountability happens. Yeah, most guys I would think are doing that already. Yeah, so it's yeah. good. Good, and it allows you to be, you know, a specialized, you know, worker, specialized contractor. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a wet area tile installer, so it, it's specific to bathroom remodels, and it, it allows somebody to come in, do their own demo, you know, pack their own pan or use a foam pan and and paint their backer board, get all their inspections done, install their tile. It allows them to do any drywall work or painting that's involved with the shower as well. So it's not just limited to tile. It's any incidental work that's involved with ripping out that shower and installing a new one. Yeah. Now, remodel work is something that you're currently, you know, that's that's your business, right? Remodel work? Yeah. So that's you're, all we do. You're a carpenter turned tile guy, which is a pretty common story, right? And then and then transitioning into the remodeling field. Tell me about how you did that. Cause a lot of tile contractors, they're subbing, they're working for stores or, or GCs or builders subcontracting. And they're, they're, they might be curious about 
another way. So tell me about the transition into remodel contractor. So like I said, when I got my license, I got a GB98. It allows me to build basically a doghouse or a skyscraper. Um, From there, you know, I just started putting myself out there. I did advertise probably my first two years in business. And I was going through Angie's List. And I got some decent decent clients from there. And uh, from there, just everything turned into word of mouth. It was word of mouth. You know, I was dropping business cards off everywhere, making flyers, you know, and and even to this day, we still don't advertise. Everything comes from word of mouth Mm -hmm. or or we'll refer to from, you know, uh, flooring stores. Oh, you are. So like I said, everything's basically full, full blown remodels where we come in and we'll completely gut a bathroom out and start back over from scratch. Mm Mm-hmm. What were the business decisions for doing that? I mean, tell me about the money, the, you know, the. So my, my biggest decision in doing that was, like I said, when I originally started out, I also had a showroom that I was running to. So I had a, uh, a cabinet contract. I was doing business with Schluter at the time. Um, it was an ASD for them. So I was getting Schluter at a pretty discounted rate. Um, same with thin sets through stonewood flooring. I was getting thin set for cheap through there. And, uh, you know, be, being able to have that turnover and being able to resell all the products was very enticing. You know, when I was getting, you know, cabinets that I could do, you know, a maybe 15 to 16 box kitchen for, you know, 5k and, uh, end up being able to turn around and sell it for 15, 20. So, I mean, it's the, the return on it was, was great. Yeah. And, and so the main reason why we had got into doing, you know, custom kitchen and bathroom remodels is you've got to have a very good attention to detail when doing these things. I mean, even the smallest little things stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. It, it might not to the homeowner, but to other people in the industry, they'll pick it out right away. Right. They'll pick it out right away. And so, you know, here in my state, the attention to detail is not, not as prevalent as it is in a lot of other states. You know, it's uh, there's there's a lot of great tile installers, you know, in a lot of regions where they're they're producing a lot of good work all the time. Where here in, in Albuquerque, you know, you've got maybe, you know, five, six guys that are actually turning out really good work, and the rest is just, you know, low and go. So I, I figured it was the, our best opportunity to get into that niche market and start producing work that would turn heads. Cool. Yeah, the writing was on the wall, huh? I mean, Albuquerque is huge. It, it, it's huge in land, but not huge in oh, it's spread out. quality work. Yeah, but the population, though, right? The population's getting, I mean, greater Albuquerque area, I think we're getting close to 700,000. If they take into consideration, you know, uh, Rio Rancho, Las Lunas, you know, Tijetas, we're, we're, over, we're getting close to a mill. Yeah. So, I mean, it's tiny to me. It's tiny, it's to, tiny to me. Yeah. It's tiny to me. I mean, I, I've gone out and worked in Seattle. I've worked out in Arizona. It's it's tiny out here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can literally drive from one end of town to the other in about 25 minutes. Oh, that's pretty good. They got some nice uh, some nice, nice roads then. No, the roads are not nice. It's just that small. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I, I, I've driven through Albuquerque on, on is it the 10? We've got the 40 and the 25. Okay. Okay. Got it. I I used to live in Tucson and take the 10 down and then I guess 
I, I don't know which road it was, but you'd be 25 up. Yeah. 25 up. Yeah. So, but, uh, so listen, you, you went into remodel work because obviously, you know, you, the writing was on the wall. Hey, there's, there's, there's high profitability and, and cabinets and, you know, resale and just you, resale in general. And you, and, and you also saw, you know, you saw the failures and you're like, there's opportunity here. We're going to, you know, we're going to rest, you know, we're going to rescue people that have had a bad experience. Right. Agreed. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, social media in the tile industry at large, you, you're somebody who, you know, you've been around social media a long time. You, you know, you were, you've been active, you've been not as active, um, and, and yesterday when you were talking to Mark, you know, you had some, some strong opinions that I, I gave you some pushback on and it, it was a good conversation. Then we got on the phone on Friday and, and had a good conversation. I, I just kind of wanted to continue that. Um, you know, in your opinion, how can we utilize social media to push the trade and, and push the industry forward and to better not, you know, ourselves as well as the industry at large? And like, like I said before, I, I think the people that have the large followings, if they if they decided to step up and start pushing for things in their own state, they imagine the amount of people that are going to follow them and do the same thing. Mm. I, I don't have nearly the following of 90% of the people that are on the forums for a reason. Don't want it. But these other people, if they wanted to, they could come out and make changes. Mm. You know, I was just the guy that, that struck the match and threw it into the pile of brush. You know, it's not my job to continue to, to keep doing everything. I got a life to live too. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I I think you're absolutely right. We, you know, we should be using you know social media and and our following to to better each other and and better the industry. Um, I would push back and say it's it's happening. I mean, or either, even if people don't realize it's happening, if they're putting quality work out, you know how many times a day I read somebody say it was when I, when I got on Instagram or when I joined Facebook groups or something of this nature and I saw the, the attention to detail and I saw the passion and it reignited the flame in me. And now I'm putting out work that's 10 X from, you know, I, I knew I was capable. And I would definitely say that's, that's probably about 15% of what happens on the forums. Mm. You know, that's about 15% about, of what happens on the forums. What's 85? What's the other 85? I mean, I, I haven't sat down there and broke it down, but I, I still randomly get on and, and read the comments, and I'm just like, do people have this shitty of a life that they need to get on Facebook and just degrade other people for no reason? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it seems like people enjoy bullying instead of giving common, solid advice. You know, they'd rather beat them up about how terrible their job is instead of saying, hey, well, next time, why don't you try to do this? Why don't you try to do that? And then people get into piston matches. And it, it's like I told Mark Island, it's like watching TMZ when I get on the tile forums. It can be. It can be. And I hear I hear what you're saying. I And maybe it's, maybe it's the way I've trained myself or trained the algorithms or something. But for some reason, I'm actually the opposite. I think it's 10, 15% negative. And eighty-five percent positive. Now, will people have sometimes heated discussions? Yes, I think that's healthy. 
And that's actually, you know, it's, it's mature to be able to have a heated, I mean, where would we be without heated discussions? We wouldn't be able to advance. Agreed. I mean, as long as it stays civil. Right. Civil. And so, you know, like I'm saying, I, I, I tend to be, you know, to look at it as, as a half, you know, a glass half full, you know, I, I feel like there's more positivity, but that's me. That's my opinion. I agree. The negativity, you know, shouldn't be there. One thing I've found, you know, being an, uh, an admin of some of these groups and, and tile money, my own group and stuff is, and, and I'm guilty of it too, right? You can have the best message, the most pot, you can have the most positive person in the world. They have a bad day. Maybe they had a few drinks, something came up, you know, and they're going to, they're going to, you know, get a little negative. And then what happens is people feed their negative energy, right? And so that's what I've noticed is somebody could be like a perfect, you know, citizen, right? And, and the other thing too, is we're all, you know, we have, you know, some of these groups have 20,000 people in them. It's not, you know, it's worldwide. So you have sometimes language differences, you have all these problems, right? And and so that's what I've noticed is like, just kind of like maybe let them chill out, maybe delete the post for them. Maybe delete some comments as an admin. That's, you know, what I try to do is if it, and maybe take action, right? If I see somebody who's a repeat offender coming in with their BS, they're, they're gone. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we should have a close to zero tolerance for some re, of these repeat offenders. So, I get you. so anyways, I, I definitely, I definitely think the forum should be, be being used to unify us a lot better. You know, I, I mean, look, look at how strong we are, you know, in, in each form. And I've said this many a times to different people. There's a lot of us out here that run small businesses and we're pitted into getting insurance from the government. Well, what if we created like a tile geek or a global tile posse insurance program and we went to an insurance broker? Oh, we've got 20,000 members that want to sign up for insurance. Do you imagine how cheap our insurance would be? We're, we're not using our numbers in the proper way. Yeah. We're not. That's true. That's a good point. When, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, you know, the, everybody that's got their followings, they're not using them in the right way. There's a lot of good things that we could do in the industry that we're just not doing. Yeah. It takes, it takes a, you're absolutely right. It takes, a, it takes, um, a good leader and a good mission statement to, you know, have that many people kind of unified in, in a positive direction. And I, I, I look at this as part of the evolution, right? Like we're having this conversation. You're giving me ideas. Um, we might work together. We might, you know, inspire each other. We might, you know, this conversation is going to, you know, hopefully inspire somebody else, you know, Hey, that's a good idea. Uh, you have any other good ideas you want to share that maybe somebody can run with? <laughs> I can't let them all out. So, some of them I got to keep man. to myself. Smart man. That's cool, man. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time out on a Sunday. I know you're a family man and you probably got a few things going on. Um, but I appreciate it. And I know this is going to be a valuable conversation to the audience and people will pick things up and run with it and apply it in their business and life and improve. Um, and so once again, Carl, thanks for being you and thanks for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, no worries. All right, well, you have a good uh, rest of your Sunday. Appreciate it. You as well. Thanks. 
All right, Tile Friends. Well, that was Carl Parker. Um, he's on Facebook. If you want to reach out to him, uh, you can get a hold of him. Uh, and you know, reach out to me if you can't find him. Um, and and I'll I'll connect you if you want to talk to him about what he's done in, in his state. Uh, listen, stay positive out there, Tile Friends. Uh, and uh, you know, if you want to stay in touch with all things Tile Money, sign up for our newsletter. It's an email, weekly email newsletter, and you can do that at tilemoney.com. All right, Tile Friends. Well, until next time, like always, stay profitable out there, Tile Friends. Thank you.